probably bleep out, actually. But the name is... Keep the laps. Uh, yes, that's right. Yes. You're just going to keep me busy with the bleeper, aren't you? Is that what's going to happen? The entire fucking episode. So how do you spell keep laps? <laughs> Smashing Security, Episode 182, Space Force, Credit Card Fraud, and Beep T Beep, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 182. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And this week, Carol, we are joined on the show by, well, someone who's a fellow podcaster. He's been on the show before, but since then, his podcast has been relaunched. It's host unknown, sole founder, Tom Langford. Hello, Tom. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I I listened a couple of weeks ago and you said something about uh, having guests on who are less security minded and, you know, don't have any expertise (laughs) in security. And lo and behold, here I am. (laughs) Well, actually, Tom, that's not the reason we invited you on. (laughs) Oh, really? No, no. Graham, I'm going to hand over to you because you uncovered this little thing, didn't you? Well, yes, I did. You see, since Tom has relaunched his host unknown podcast about, I don't know, a couple of months ago. I've been listening in each week and uh, there have been a fair few mentions of Carole and myself on the podcast, <laughs> although you seem to refer to it as Graham's podcast. Um, oh, only uh, once or twice. Wow. And it's always Javad who jumps to Carole's oh, defence. Oh, it is Javad, yeah. <laughs> but more than that, I, I hear you're really desperate for sponsors and um, we... <laughs> whoa, whoa, you're not donating one, are you, Graham? Well, <laughs> well, are you giving us one of your sponsors? Can we pick? Well, specifically on your sponsor page, you say Smashing Security has enough sponsors. <laughs> and so give your money to us instead. <laughs> yeah. I'm a master negotiator. Mm. I believe in win-win. Yes. So if uh, Smashing Security sponsors an episode, <gasps> will you take that shit off your site? <laughs> And start saying something nice instead. I will personally delete that before this recording is over if you're going to sponsor a show. Graham, what do you reckon? Right, right. We are going to record an ad for Smashing Security on the Host Unknown podcast. Done. There you go, Tom. Perfect. Awesome. Okay, let's get this show on the road. All right. Can I go now? (laughs) Hey, you sit right there and buckle in. (laughs) <laughs> What's coming up this week? Carl? First, let's thank this week's sponsors that sponsor Smashing Security, <laughs> Meta Compliance, <laughs> and LastPass. Their support helps us give you this show for free. Now, stay tuned at the end of the show for a special feature interview with Robbie O'Brien of Meta Compliance. Not only does he share some great info on onboarding staff into better cyber awareness, but he has quite the dreamy voice. <laughs> He does, let me tell you. Hello. Um, now, on today's show, Graham tells us what happened when a security firm suffers a security breach. Tom talks about the importance of brand reputation in our new world. And I'm looking into how we can make it harder for credit card hackers to dupe us. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, I want to talk to you about something which has sort of affected me personally in the time since we last recorded a podcast. I want you to picture this. I want you to imagine this scenario. Imagine that you personally suffered a security breach. Okay? You leaked data in some way. What would you do? That the one time I almost replied all an email that would have got me fired, I ripped the cable (laughs) out of my computer. So this was before Wi-Fi. This is when I still had a manual leap over the desk and almost ripped the machine off the desk. You thought you'd be faster than the electrons. Well, do you know what? I think I made it. Yeah. Yeah. I was lucky. The advantage of having a 286 processor, I guess. (laughs) Tom, what about you? If you suffered a security breach? So there's two words spring to mind, honesty and transparency. And having done something similar myself which affected 15,000 people in a company all getting notifications of my meeting requests for a day, (laughs) Um, I decided the best bet was to basically email everybody and say, sorry, this is what I did. Make sure you don't do it. Oh, good. Just adding to the spam. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take it one stage further. Imagine you're a security firm. Oh, the pain that must be involved in that. If you suffered some kind of security breach, what would you do then? What's your recommendation? Tom, I guess it's still transparency and honesty. Honesty, absolutely. Yeah, I think I would maintain that as well. Right. Come clean real quick. Let's go even crazier. Imagine you are a popular and handsome award-winning security blogger. 
I'm not talking about Tom, who did win a, a security <laughs> blogging award. Damn, I thought you were going to talk about me. Last week. No, and I said <laughs> handsome and popular. And uh, imagine you heard that this security firm had a security breach. Mm-hmm. What would you do if you're a blogger? You're going to write about it, right? Well, it's, it's interesting. public knowledge, right? It's in the public domain. You'd think well, this will be an interesting story to write about. Now, here's the final little leaf of so the So who's onion. the handsome guy again? <laughs> Apparently not me. Hypothetical one. Now, imagine you are the security firm that realises a security blogger has written about your security firm that had the security breach. What would you do? I hope you wouldn't send in the lawyers. Okay, can I ask some questions? Yes, yes, yes. uh, Did the security blogger say anything that was untrue? I don't think he did. Did the the security blogger put the knife in and twist it ridiculously hard? I think I was most... Oh, you're the handsome guy. Balan- oh my god! Yeah, sorry. Jeez. <laughs> I think I think I, I think I was balanced and reasonable in my blog post. Did you ask them for comment? Oh, I did ask them for comment. Yes, I asked them if they if they would like to comment on the breach. Uh, so what happened was this: I wrote about this UK security vendor, who um, I'll probably bleep out. Actually, I'll probably redact them from the podcast. But the name is. I wrote about them. Yes, that's right. You're just going to keep me busy with the bleeper, aren't you? Is that what's going to happen? The entire fucking episode. So how do you spell keep <laughs> It's spelled K-E-E-P, right? And then N-E-T. And then beep, Okay, so I wrote about this incident. In fact, it wasn't me who originally discovered it. Bob Diachenko, who's an extraordinary security researcher, he's always uncovering massive databases that have been left exposed online, unprotected with even the simplest password. He came across a database containing more than 5 billion, with a ba-ba-ba-ba, records. Jesus. Which had actually been derived from past security breaches. So what happened is this security firm... Was he just looking at Troy Hunt's collection? <laughs> no, it wasn't Troy Hunt. Let me his, personal yeah, his personal it email collection. It wasn't Troy Hunt's database. <laughs> let's, not, let's not start another legal fight. <laughs> He's much taller than all of us. No, no. But a similar kind of operation, I imagine. They were collecting data about past data breaches, but they then accidentally exposed it in some fashion, right? So I wrote about them and I named the company. And what I noticed over time was that that company's name, which had been reported in other places on the internet, began to disappear. Mm -hmm. Mysteriously, suddenly no one was naming the company. And then I received an email from this company saying, oh, hello, Um, can you please update your article to remove our name from it because it's inaccurate and it's bad for our image. You know, Graham, this is not the only time this happened last week. Oh, really? With you. What else happened? <laughs> what, what have I done? What Who have else I done? have you pissed off, Do you remember off, the other email you received suggesting that you change your blog article to reflect the oh. com- a different company <laughs> point of view than the one that was factual? You're talking about... Sophos's PR agency who wanted me to change my article about the Naked Security blog. Being decimated. Oh, really? And their staff being made redundant. Yes. Your old employer was going to sue you? Well, no, then, no, 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 no. Nothing, nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like that. No. I, I received a very friendly email from Sophos's PR agency saying that Naked Security would continue to operate. And oh, I see. They were unable to answer any questions I might have regarding the editor and the writers being made redundant. Uh, yeah, so, interesting. Yes, so that was something else we had last week. But, you know, good luck to them, and let's hope that all gets resolved. Just saying you had a busy week. That's all I'm saying. I had a busy week. Anyway, so these guys wanted their name removed. And so I said to them, oh, can you tell me what's wrong about my article? Because I would love to fix it. I don't want to have inaccurate information up there. And they said, well, none of our customers were involved in the data breach. And so I said, well, I didn't say any of your customers were involved in the data breach. Mm. So I haven't got any words to fix about that and they said well it wasn't really a breach because this was data which had already been breached and i said well i think that's still a security breach because people can find it that didn't have access to it before yeah you've facilitated potentially who knows if it actually happened or not but potentially other people may have been able to access that data because you handled it carelessly in some fashion fair rightly or wrongly This carried on for a couple of months, and I wasn't talking about this publicly, but they did say we are going to have to engage our lawyers to deal with this now. Um, And I said, well, that's fine, but, you know, if you've got something to say, please let me know, and I will put it up on the thing, or if you've got any refutation or any statements you'd like to officially make, I will post it up on my article so that you can have your position 
And they didn't want to do that. It didn't want to give me any statements whatsoever. But what they did do is they said, oh, and by the way, maybe you'd like to work with us on some business opportunities in future. (laughs) (laughs) So what, like bribe you? Well, you might say that, Carol. So say basically, (laughs) hey, work with us, but we'll only think about doing that if you just do a little tweaky, tweak, tweak on that blog article. Thanks so much. So I said, thank you very much. Um, That's interesting. But let's have that as an entirely separate conversation from the conversation about your blog post. Let's resolve that first before we discuss any other sort of business. Next thing I knew, I got a letter from their lawyers telling me to take down their name and redact it and saying it was bad for their company and all the rest of it. Now, I believe I haven't said anything inaccurate in that blog post, right? And I've given them a chance to have their say as well. But what I didn't want was I didn't want to get bogged down in lots of legal arguments and letters where only the lawyers are going to get rich and this could go on for months and months and months and who, frankly, gives a damn about it. So when I got this letter from their lawyers, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take their name down. And in fact, what I did was I redacted their name. So I I replaced it with black blobs. Mm -hmm. And I thought, having done that, best thing I can do is probably just that a little explanation at the bottom of the article. Okay. So you backed down, but you couldn't do it without um, taking a dump. Well, people... Yeah, people need to know. A, people not, need to know. Not, I agree. Well, no, well no I, 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 I agree with your stand. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, why should they win if you've done nothing wrong? Well, what I did was I tweeted and I said, following a legal threat from beep, beep, and I redacted the name, I've removed their name from this article on my site. And I said, you know, I apologize to readers, but, you know, I can't afford to get into a legal fight. Now, that did have an unforeseen consequence, which I couldn't possibly have imagined would happen. There were people on Twitter who were able to determine what the company's name was. Wayback Machine. So it appears, Kroll. Wayback Machine. (laughs) I tweeted something similar about Streisand Effect and Wayback Machine. Yes. There you go. So... um, there were quite a lot of people who sort of responded to it. Um, in fact, um, apparently over 100,000 people saw the tweet, um, and it was uh, there were lots and lots of comments on it. I haven't commented on my tweet or anyone else's comments regarding it or liked it. Oh, that's very mature Does, of you. Well, I thought so too. Well, I just didn't want to – I didn't want to – You poked the bear any, enough already. I didn't want to I put – You, know, you don't, want to, want, you don't to, want to put a bear trap I out. I didn't want to pour any – the thing is, Crow, I'm not the only person who was possibly intimidated by this company. To Are you intimidated? There was an attempt at intimidation, I think, with a legal threat. I do know that Javad Malik of the Host Unknown podcast, because he mm. spoke about it on his latest episode. Folded like a pack of cards. <laughs> he was contacted. He hadn't written about it. He... No, that's the best part of it. You explain what happened, Tom. So, quick summary, Javad has been asked for a quote about this breach Mm -hmm. for an article by another writer. He supplied some quotes. He actually used the term breach because, let's face it, nowadays that's kind of a a generic term, really, a bit of a catch-all for anything that's been lost or not secured or or whatever. He mentioned that. And uh, this particular company in question reached out to him and said, take your comments down, to which you know Javad said... I can't. It's not my article. I suggest you contact the the um, yeah the publisher, you know, the owner of the yeah. article, and he also said, you know, as a courtesy, I have contacted them to to ask them to to review it, but I can't do anything. And then they uh, they basically then came back threatening legal action. At which point he said, uh, speak to my lawyers, uh, and left it at that. <laughs> so, yeah. But. The difference know, is Javad to... has lawyers, whereas I don't. So, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the joy of being employed by a company. Yeah, the only, the only, the only legally thing I can even think of it, and I'm no lawyer, is just the the, the, the breach. What does a breach mean? You know, how is it defined by the Computer Misuse Act, and well, how was it used? That's the only. There has been a breach of security. A breach and... of trust. Oh, you're careful, Crow, what you say. Who knows what you might get in the post? <laughs> it's like saying, well, it's not a breach because it's already been lost. Is ridiculous. It's like sending a, somebody an email to get it to the top of their inbox. What it is, is putting it out there again in another easy-to-find format on the plain regular internet so that even more people can get access to it. But what they should have done instead was as soon as they were aware of it, they should have contacted the appropriate authorities, contacted anyone affected, and put it up on their website that this happened, this is how they're handling it, and if they have any questions, please see this FAQ. Done. So it's only after one week 
of Twitter outrage and people sort of going off them with pitchforks. And to be honest, some people I feel have been a, have gone a little bit too far on Twitter. No, really, that's not like Twitter at all. <laughs> on Twitter? <laughs> Holy God, so, I didn't realize this was this big. So the security firm, <laughs> Keep Labs, beepity beep. They have now, today, hot off the press, just before we recorded this podcast, they have now published a statement about the exposure on their website where they try and explain what happened and try and excuse what happened. Let me happened. guess, they don't use the word breach anywhere. I'm not, I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of uh, the accuracy of their statement. but Are you named in there? Uh, no, I'm not. What, a special thanks to Graham? <laughs> <laughs> But the thing is, he, here's the thing about the security industry. It was a it was an Elasticsearch database, I believe, yes. which ships and installs with everything security-wise switched off, yeah. as I understand yeah. it. And we get it. As security professionals, we get it. You know, switching security on is, is difficult because it limits functionality. It can slow things down in some cases. You know, it's difficult. But if you are a security company, you need to have your shit together. Yeah. You've got to, you know, you've you've got to have these processes in place that make sure that anything that faces the internet or anything that contains personal or confidential information needs to go through a hardening script of some kind, be it automatic or manual. And if it doesn't work for some reason and you get found out, then tell us why it didn't work and what you should have done so that we can all learn from it. So I think your advice is absolutely right, Tom Carroll. I think transparency, honesty, prompt response to these kind of incidents means that, you know, when something bad happens, it doesn't have to be as big a deal as you can make it by responding badly. Mm. So Deep, Graham. Yeah, well, fuck off deep. What's their name? Fuck off keeping their lips. And their lawyers. <laughs> yeah. I'll keep an eye on the letterbox. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And your bank account. Tom, what have you got for us this week? What have I got? So there was a lovely tweet that I saw the other day about brand reputation mm. and how um, important it is to control your brand. And we know this because you know many of us in security roles uh, have experienced this when other companies register domain names in that are either very close to your company name or they are the same but with a, a different, you know, .com or .co.uk at the end and start impersonating you. And this is a big deal. And as a result, there's a whole sort of almost a sub-industry of, you know, brand management. And when you register a domain, it will you, know, you can automatically get similar domain names registered. There are services that search out to see if there are domain names that are registered with you know, Cyrillic alphabet characters, but still looking like your domain, etc. I think we've actually had this ourselves. I think we had a listener who bought the domain smash in security yep. without a G yep. dot com uh, uh. to redirect to us, which was very generous of them. Oh, that was very decent. Yeah, we very have decent. Very decent so, listeners. Yeah, we love them. We should have done that and redirected it to host on that. But uh, <laughs> okay, see, he just screwed up again, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah well if you'd listen to the podcast you'd know you'd know that that's regularly what we do um but talking about someone else who screwed up is the u.s believe it or not so the u.s a couple of years ago or mr trump announced space force the the, the fifth wing of the u.s military you can totally see that he came up with that name too right you can totally tell oh my he god did that. yeah uh, he's, he's just sitting in the background oh i, I want to get the laser guns <laughs> you know but bottom line is he watched moonraker he watched james <laughs> bond's moonraker and decided that's for him so they, they've yet to get involved in any kind of serious operations. They've let, yet to launch anything. They've kind of just been bubbling under. They're probably still deciding what sort of camouflage they should have on their uniforms. I think now, they did actually design a logo, didn't they? Which looked, They did, looked yes. very much like the, uh, the, the Star Trek Enterprise logo, yeah. the Federation <laughs> yeah, exactly. of Planets or whatever they're called. Yeah, so. exactly. Blake 7, yeah. Blake 7, now that would have been good. Um, <laughs> so what's going on with Space Force? So also, you may have noticed recently on Netflix, there's a new series called Space Force, uh, which is a little spoof on that, and it stars Steve Carell and John Malkovich. Very funny. Oh, cool. Very funny. I've just watched the first season. It's very good, uh, very lighthearted, lots of fun. The problem is Netflix have trademarked Space Force. <laughs> well, of course they did. So... 
But let me guess, let me guess, the government didn't. <laughs> didn't, oh. that's right. That's right. So maybe we're going to see rockets launched with Netflix on the side of it in order to pay back for <laughs> pay them back for use of their trademark. But it just strikes me that it doesn't matter how big your organisation is or how well-funded it is, and let's face it, the US government has got to be kind of up there, size, complexity, and amount of cash. They could just change the name, though, right? Why wouldn't they just change it to something like Space Fork or... Or, or Space Farce. <laughs> Space Farce, exactly. Yeah, which is roughly the zone around Trump's head at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just find it amazing that such basics like this, it's a bit like when you hear that somebody forgot to renew their certificates for their, yes. for their domains and stuff like that. I find it just stunning that such basic stuff is not being done. You know, and I would imagine US Army is probably trademarked or copyrighted or something. So when you uh, brought up this topic, I, of course, uh, went and searched for Space Force, right? And oh, the yeah. found Netflix. Well, yeah, Netflix came in first. And then there's a few IMDb sites, stuff like that. And then there's a review from The Verge saying the title is Astonishingly Bad Show. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Which I'm, because I'm looking at. Are they talking about the president? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, what's your story for us this week? Before we start, can I just ask, credit cards, are, do you guys have a strong relationship with them? Do you uh, do you have many or just one? I, I have a debit card. I don't tend to use a credit card unless it's for very painful purchases. Really? Even when you shop online? Well, that's what I'm saying. When, it, when it's a painful purchase. In fact, I have, I have someone else in my household who does most of the shopping. So uh, I, I think they may have a credit card, but I don't. <laughs> tend. Damn me. You, you should use a credit card when you shop online. Well, yes, you know I know that, right? to get the to get the what's it's yes to get the protection. Well, no, not no, for, for that. the protection. Not I for mean, that. For the protection. The toilet rolls. No, it's be- <laughs> it's because the creditors and you share responsibilities. So if you buy something stupid or you yes, don't get protection. it, I know, I'm trying to explain it to the listeners too, Graham. Oh, it's a radio sorry. show, okay. right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just about your knowledge. Sometimes you have to pretend you don't know stuff to make it fun. Okay. So what, why, what would be, be the benefit of me shopping with a credit card? Well, very good question, Graham. <laughs> it's like poetry in the making. The reason is that if you buy with a debit card, you are 100% responsible for uh, that loss if you don't get the item you've mm-hmm. purchased. But with a creditor, you share responsibility and you can sometimes claw money back from it from your creditor if you can prove it wasn't your fault. So always purchase a credit card. Claim. Very cool. Very good advice. Now, listen... Li- Straight up, credit cards, not a very funny uh, conversation topic to cover, right? <laughs> like, just seriously, I was thinking. I'm sure I, you can sort that out. Well, you know, I decided I would, and this is how I've decided to do it. I have peppered my story with a few jokes, which I got off the internet by looking for credit card jokes, okay? And that is how we're going to keep this light. Will you signpost them in some fashion? Yeah, yeah, we're going to start with a joke. <laughs> okay. So what do Trump and maxed out credit cards have in common? Nobody likes them. They both deny all charges. Oh, very good. Hey, okay. Very good. Bit of science now. So credit cards are powerful tools, right? People are setting up new online accounts, registering their credit card details with them willy-nilly because right. guess what? They can't go to the bank and they can't go to the stores to buy the things that they require. And people, even if you could pay in cash people don't really want to receive cash at the moment do they because it's dirty 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 money <laughs> filthy lucre now i don't tend to use credit cards either but i'm kind of glad that i've got one that's all paid up and ready if a bigger emergency hits me directly but others who are in the eye of the storm you know maybe jobless or yeah. uh, you know they're out protesting unbelievable injustices or they're you know and they're they're staving off the bills with credit card payments mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay joke time right oh yeah good you <laughs> <laughs> you see okay so why did the dad this is for you Graham why did the dad put the credit card statement on his feet i don't know why because it said new balance on it <laughs> It's a shoe company. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Such a fucking dad. Such a dad. Such a dad. Did you know that, Tom? 
I did, but I didn't oh. get the joke though. Ah, oh, <laughs> maybe it's my telling. I'm not very good. I'll work on this. I'll work no, on it. No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so all this to say there's lots of credit card transactions going on right now. Online shopping is up, and mm -hmm. uh, April saw a 200% jump in new mobile banking registrations. And mobile banking traffic rose 85%. And we're not surprised by that because people are locked at home. So since the corona shutdown, the yeah. U.S. economy, Fidelity National Information Services, there are fraud monitoring services for banks, have seen a huge jump in credit card scams. Oh, really? And these have become so pervasive that some executives at a community bank thought they'd been hacked before learning that it was just cardholders were falling victim to these scams. That's how bad the numbers oh, were. Oh, so they saw so many weird transactions happening that they thought there must be someone inside the infrastructure. Oh, crumbs. But actually, it was just the customers. It was just the customers oh falling my for stuff. God. Yeah. And in the UK, things aren't better. Victims of scams related to coronavirus outbreak nearly lost a million quid in February. And most of this was uh, focused on the COVID-19 crisis. So phishing, phone, SMS scams, the whole nine yards. And one pundit said, like, while, you know, your day job may have gone up in smoke or become way more difficult, the hacker's day job just got a whole lot easier. Right. Yep. For a number of reasons. One, we're all stuck at home, online all the time. And two, we are looking for information. Could you give us another joke? Would that be all right? Yeah, I've already got lined got, up. Got, okay, right, good. <laughs> Plenty more where they came from. Yeah. Because <laughs> the last one about New Balance didn't really work for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a dad. I'm really good at managing my credit card. My bank keeps sending me letters saying my account is outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> right. So types of scams we're seeing. One is a kind of service scam. So a typical one is like they're talking about Netflix. So you might get an SMS or an email that says, hey, free Netflix for a month or three months or six months. Now, the reason this is hard for people to spot is because Netflix and other service video companies are offering incentives to get more users. Yeah. So it's our job to be able to tell the difference between a real one and a bogus one. Right. Now, the other one is government info or stimulus checks. So in the States, oh, yeah. there's loads of people that have filed for legitimate stimulus checks coming in from the government. So what if you get a phone call or an email, someone purporting to be a bank or government official, right, saying we need to get some more information to make sure you get your check, or we just want to double check your postal address, we can get the check in the mail for you. Ironically, um, I saw on Twitter that people are mistaking that their stimulus checks for junk mail or a scam, because I don't know if you've seen what it looks like. And it also has it's been, Donald... It's been signed by a scam artist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the signature, but he doesn't look like I'd rely on him. Oh, so because the check comes with Donald Trump's signature, people think this must be a hoax. Oh, my goodness. I wonder if Stormy Daniels has got a check from Donald Trump. Many checks, I think. <laughs> Okay, and of course, we don't even have to go into it, but all the COVID stuff, and we know why that's happening. Well, you were talking about that last week, weren't you, about the track and trace website yeah. and, you know. There's also the bank and credit card stuff. This makes it hard again because banks are offering services. I am getting legitimate text messages from my bank saying, hey, we're going to freeze your, you know, uh, interest that you owe us during this period. Hmm. Get a $500 stimulus check from your bank. Just tap here. But but here's the thing. You say, you know, is that legitimate? We'll go to their website and find out. Do you know what I mean? You know, click here, please. I guess that's the problem, though, isn't it? If the communication includes a link, many people will use the link in the communication or told to them down the phone rather than finding out what the real link is. There's yeah, of course, of course, but... Yeah, and that's so important, that advice. So maybe you should say that again, Graham, just to make sure everyone hears it. It's super important. So, so you, got, you have to be careful. Don't click on the link which is given to you in the communication, in the email or in the text message or told to you down the phone. Instead, work out what the real link is and go to it directly on your computer. Exactly. Um, one guy on Twitter was saying that he keeps getting calls and the way they start the call off is, credit card services, how are you doing? Um, and then they offer to lower your credit card interest. Is it Joey from Friends? 
<laughs> How are you doing? Also, be careful of insurance scams. So, of course, many of us had plans for the summer, like perhaps we were renting a vacation home or going on a flight or doing something with the family. And some of us have had trouble getting money yes. back from those yeah. things. Emails saying, here's your Airbnb cancellation. We just need your banking details mm. to refund your card could also yeah. work pretty well. Okay, it's getting bleak. You need a joke, don't you? I think we do. Graham, I don't know if you're going to get this one. <laughs> I've done so well so far. Okay, let's see how you do. Let's see how you do. A tangent, a tangent applied for a credit card but was denied. He couldn't find anyone willing to co-sign. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> that is quite an intellectual joke. A little, yeah. little trig for you there, Graham. Yeah, I like that yeah. one. Okay, I understand that. Okay. So advice time. Now, before I get into advice, the reason I wanted to bring this up today is because you guys are both smart and you will have better advice than the advice that is given on the official FBI credit card fraud site. Oh, okay. Oh, dear. Right? So there's things like um, before using the site, check out the security and encryption software it uses. Oh, so see if it has a padlock on the website. Don't judge a person or company by their website. Flashy websites can be set up quickly. And then they say somewhere else, make sure you buy from a reputable source. The Host Unknown podcast website looks pretty flashy, I have to say, but I wouldn't necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it's entirely reputable. Oh, it's certainly not reputable, but it is genuine. So, okay, so I, I, I'm not saying any of the information here is wrong. I think it's all very difficult to follow. So it's a wall of text. You can't give this volume of advice and expect people to follow it. It's got to be a far simpler uh, message that people can uh, emotionally attach to. Yep. You know, I want to hear Terrio's tips. Let's hear them. I think the best one is sign up for alerts. So every time your bank number or credit card is used for a purchase, you get a secondary notification that tells you, hey, your card has just been used. Great idea. Yeah. Right? And that way, yep. at least, it doesn't mean it stops it from happening in the first place, but means you are onto it super quickly. Yeah. Limit the number of websites you save your credit card information. Mm. Right? You don't have to save everything. I know it makes everything a little bit faster, but actually it's much safer not to save it with a bunch of different companies out there. And you can also use things like either PayPal or Apple Pay or Google Pay. These might be a smarter way to be able to manage your money because then you have a kind of an account you can manage. Also use LastPass to store a credit card and have it automatically fill in the, the, the site. Very good point. Yes, you can. So I like this I like this idea yes. of using Apple Pay or PayPal or Google Pay and things like that, particularly on sites which aren't, you aren't familiar with, um, you know, for an additional level of protection. That's a great idea. I've also heard some people use, are they called virtual credit cards? What's the, what's the name of these things? Where, do you know about these, Tom? I do, yeah. So you, you get either a virtual credit card, which is you've got your regular card, but then your app will generate uh, a virtual card, so you don't actually get a physical card, and you can use that for all your purchases, say, at Amazon or at John Lewis or, or wherever. Uh, and if something happens to that card, you can just delete that card. You don't have to apply for a new card because you've obviously still got your credit card. But you can also get disposable cards as well, which are good for one shot. So you create a card, use that number for your purchase, and then that card is, is immediately destroyed. You know where I've heard those are excellent to use if you're signing mm. up for like a one-month trial or membership of something, and uh, you know they're not going to let you out easily. And this way, uh, you follow the rules, and at the end, it just goes poof, and they, they can't, you know, hold you for money. I don't know. I don't know if this will work or not, but this one guy called Deldi on Twitter said he's been getting way more scam calls recently. So he's been opening with the line, hi, I was actually wondering if I can share my social security number and credit card info before we move any further. And apparently they instantly hang up. So <laughs> anyone who's inundated with calls, try that one. <laughs> The folks at Meta Compliance are fabulous, not only because they're sponsoring our podcast this week, but also because they're offering listeners a free cybersecurity awareness for dummies book. 
In the guide, you will learn what cybersecurity awareness means for your organization, how to implement a cyber risk awareness campaign, the critical role of policies to establish safe baselines, how to maintain momentum and staff engagement, 10 cybersecurity awareness best practices, and oodles, oodles more. Grab a free copy of the Cybersecurity Awareness for Dummies book from MetaCompliance now at smashingsecurity.com slash cyberaware smashingsecurity.com slash cyberaware Are you having trouble remembering your plethora of passwords? Maybe it's time you look to get a password manager. LastPass by LogMeIn is a password manager both for consumers and the enterprise. In a company, you get extras like central admin oversight, controlled shared access, automated user management, and everything is protected with multi-factor authentication. Learn more at lastpass.com forward slash smashing. Oh, and if you're a home user, LastPass is available for free. So check it out. LastPass.com forward slash smashing. Back to the show. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favorite part of the show? The part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. The Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. <laughs> Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Oh, you said that weird. Better not be, Mr. Clearly. Yeah, well, it isn't security related. It is shoelace related because. Oh, you've done this before. No, I haven't. Have I? Okay, go have ahead. I? I think you might have. <laughs> After 182 episodes, he can't remember. Crack on, crack on. <laughs> now I'm frightened. A chap called Ian Fegan runs a website called Ian Shoelace site. He is the inventor of the Ian Knot, which he claims is the world's fastest way of tying your shoelaces. He also has an app for Android and iOS. If you want to learn over 60 different ways of lacing your shoes, then his app is the one that you want. Now, this is an extraordinary website all about shoelaces and how to tie your shoes, which is incredible. What I find it particularly astonishing is that Ian admits he doesn't actually give a shit about shoelaces. <laughs> But he wanted to be the best at something and produce some corner of the internet, which has been there. And that's what he's done. He's built this. His website gets over 9,000 visits per day, which is quite a lot when you consider it's all about shoelaces. Well, shoes are big business, clue, <laughs> billion-dollar industry. That company, New Balance, is really big. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I will put in a link in the show notes. I think he has been your pick of the week in a previous what? week i would um no. i would call on to our more avid listeners to see if they remember which episode that came out of because i don't remember are you kidding uh, but me? you guys might are you, are you serious mm -hmm. you think i've <laughs> yeah. done this before <laughs> yep i think you have a little pick of the week document I with do. a bunch of links and maybe perhaps you haven't been doing very good hygiene <laughs> Normally, I clear mm. out my old entries. This is what happens when we get to episode one. Well, look, I'm sure plus. our listeners will give me feedback. It's worth it. It's worth it. It certainly is worth going to. I'm a bit worried now. Don't be worried. It's fine. You're old. You're forgetful. Everyone's understandable. Okay, Tom, what's your pick of the week? So, it was going to be uh, an app uh, called Magnet. Uh, which is totally non-security related, because I know how Good. much uh, Carol desires non-security <laughs> pick of the weeks. Just, just a, a touch. Just a little bit, yeah. It's, it's the mm -hmm. one thing that stands out every week that I listen. Um, <coughs> uh, but yeah, this app for Magnet uh, for the Mac, uh, very, very simple app. It uh, just sits in your taskbar, and what it does is it allows you to very quickly and easily resize your windows. Now, you might think that's not very useful, but you can drag a window to the top left-hand corner and it will it will automatically size it to a quarter of the size of the window. You can drag it to the left and it will be half of the window. You can drag it to the very top, it'll be the whole page. And there's also lots of screen, uh, sorry, lots of uh, keyboard shortcuts that allow you to pick it for an eighth or for a third or different locations, etc. 
And in this age of very high resolution monitors and all that sort of thing, and I've got you know two 5K monitors in front of me now, I can actually end up with eight different windows of apps open at any uh-huh. one time, all nicely positioned. So some are vertical, so you know Twitter and Signal, etc. Some are vertical quarters because um, they scroll up and down. Others are you know regular quarters. Um, so yeah, I I was going to choose that as as my pick of the week, but um. Instead, I thought I would, in a last-minute uh, fit of ego, I thought I'd mention uh, the Host Unknown podcast, which I think everybody oh, what? really should be listening to. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> I, use, I actually use Magnet. I have to say, I have to endorse this Do product you? as well. It's a great little product. Okay, where's their privacy agreement? Do you know what? Their privacy agreement says, we do not collect any information at all, period. Okay, I was looking for it and I couldn't find it on their webpage and I was typing in slash agreement, <laughs> slash term, slash privacy and nothing came up and then I see yeah, a terrific We, ca- we yeah. capture nothing. And that that in itself is a good lesson in InfoSec. If you don't need it, don't capture it. You yeah. don't have to worry about it. Tom, you have done your homework. I have. I have, especially on the Host Unknown podcast, oh, which I think everybody sake, please, should listen please. to. <laughs> Graham, hand over to Bro, me. Bro, talk, talk. <laughs> what have you got? My pick of the week this week is a TV series from BBC Two, or at least that's where we saw it. Mm -hmm. It's Alex Garland's. He's the guy who made Ex Machina or Ex Machina. Oh, yes. Did you guys see that? This is his first time dipping his toes into the small screen waters, and it's called Devs. And I say, Alex, baby, dive in. He rocked it. Okay. So there's the central character is Lily. She's played by Sonoya Mizuno. She's played in other of Garland's films and works. Basically, her she works at a kind of Google-like complex. <gasps> her boyfriend works there too. He goes missing. Oh, my God, yes. Did you watch it? I've seen the first episode. And- yes, it's got, um, it's got your man from Parks and Recreation, Nick Hofferman's in it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he plays like the main kind of Elon Musk god yeah. of the whole devs lab. But it's kind of technically, you know, it's sci-fi, but there's some technically sound stuff going on. Yeah. Um, oh, a bit like Mr. And, Robot, you know, was obviously yeah. Yeah, in our universe. And what do they do in this devs thing? Because it's actually a physically separate lab and it's a big deal getting into it. And it's kind of crazy. They kind of tease the audience. They tease Mm. you, drip feeding you a little bit of information of what's going on in there. Plus, they have the coolest statue ever in the kind of campus, which I just think we should litter the entire planet with them as a reminder of what kind of future we want to build. So... I say watch it. I watched the entire thing in two nights. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Geeky, dark, beautiful, smart, well acted. How many episodes are there, Carol? I have no idea. I gobbled them up. Okay. I don't know, six maybe? Okay. Six. Yeah, Carol right. still thinks it's Saturday. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I saw the first episode of that. I was really impressed. Um, but then yeah. I had to finish something else before I started, you know, back It's worth one. it. Yeah. It's worth it. Graham, you'll love it. So will Mrs. Cluley. Okay. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, on that note, I think it's just about time to wrap it up. Tom, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What's the best way for folks to do that? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Tom Langford. That's Tom with an H because uh, Twitter made me have an H. Tom. And um, also uh, my website, TomLangford.com and HostUnknown.tv and podcast.HostUnknown.tv. Very cool. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter wouldn't last to have a G. And also join us on our Smash Insecurity subreddit as well. And don't forget, if you want to make sure never to miss another episode, subscribe in your favourite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Pocket Casts. And why not leave us a nice review as well? Always love reading those. Huge thank you for listening and supporting us. It means everything. Also, thank you to our sponsors, Meta Compliance and LastPass. Their support helps us give you this show for free. And don't forget, stay tuned after the show for our special interview with Robbie O'Brien of Meta Compliance with the swoony voice. Check out SmashingSecurity.com for past episodes, sponsorship details, and information on how to get in touch with us. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Later, skaters. Bye-bye. So, Rob, Robbie's got a smooth voice. Uh, Robbie has a smooth voice. Robbie. No, he's just got that kind of Irish list. You know what I should have asked him to say? I should have asked him to say palimpsest. Palimpsest.
Harlem set. Harlem set. Because that's, that's how you test, I don't know if people know that, but that's how you test an accent to see if it does anything to your knees or not. Get the person to say palimpsest. And if your knees kind of go a little bit weak, you are a sucker for that accent. So we have a very special guest, a new guest, someone who hasn't been on the show before. I'd like everyone to meet Robbie O'Brien from Meta Compliance. Robbie, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, Carl. So maybe you should start by explaining who you are, what you do. I think, Carl, I've been um, like a John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness for, <laughs> oh, I, I think about you know, f- 15, 16 years, really focused on the people aspect of security and data protection. And it, it's it's clearly the hardest piece of the jigsaw. It's People are difficult, but... Unfortunately, I've become fascinated with that. And I've I've worked with a lot of companies who have tried to increase the vigilance of their teams. Um, and really, uh, you know, about eight years ago, as phishing became prevalent and ransomware, mm-hmm. uh, this became a, a, a clear and present danger. But I found that there wasn't any guides to how do you go about dealing with the people aspect of it? Where do you start? And it was a surprise to me that, when we engaged um, with organizations, one of the first questions is, well, what do you do? Um, how do you start? Um, they hadn't really taken cybersecurity awareness or the culture change around uh, security as a business as usual issue before. Um, and, and that really led me to go and, and write the cybersecurity awareness for dummies book. That is why we're here today. Uh, you have helped write, or did you write the entirety of it? I wrote the entirety of it, and a okay. colleague uh, thankfully edited out the, the more crazy things that I was trying to put into the book. <laughs> so uh, this is the author of the Cybersecurity for Dummies book that has launched from Meta Compliance, and it's totally focused on how a company can help uh, get employees on board to be safer and help protect the company and themselves. Is that fair? That's fair. And I think we have condensed all the learnings and um, low-hanging fruit and approaches that we've seen um, organizations use to move this along and uh, really brought it into a, an easy to use playbook. Now, it is not a tiny playbook. It's like 50 pages. And is this free for anyone to download? Um, it's available from the Meta Compliance website. And um, if you reach out to us, we can also send you a physical copy, which interestingly is is an excellent way to get those Luddites within your organization to to move forward where they have a physical book in front of them and um, they'll actually, uh, you know, read that more than go and read a PDF. Obviously, we're going to encourage everyone to go download it because I've taken a look at it and I think it's an impressive amount of work that went into that. And there's some really, really good information. Maybe we can start with um, the idea of what motivates a hacker. I think that um, there is as many different types of hackers as there are people. And I think that every time the human race has come up with a brand new way of commerce, there has always been piracy. You know, when um, the, the Americas were opened and, and, you know, we were transferring goods between the, the, the old world and the new world, you had this, you know, uh, blossoming of, of, of piracy, you know, Paris of the Penzance type thing. Uh, and, and hacking is, is mm. no different than that. It's, it's really a way of people... Uh, gaining advantage, um, mainly for money. Um, in, in my experience, that is the great motivator. There are certainly other issues, uh, political, uh, national players. And so you find that it's a very, very complex mm-hmm. issue. Then we have businesses who are going about their mission, um, involved in what they've been doing typically for a very long time. And we have this brand new backdrop and they find themselves really at a disadvantage. And, you know, the hacker spends day, you know, months possibly um, thinking about the organization. The organization wouldn't necessarily think 
be thinking months on awareness or security. It, it, the demands of, of the day, the, the crises of the day typically uh, d- distracts them from uh, approaching this problem in, in a more systemized fashion. Oh, I know. It's true, isn't it? I remember when I used to work in the corporate land, even working in cybersecurity, in a cybersecurity company, you could still see plans always fall off for an immediate reactionary job that everyone had to be all hands on deck. So do you find that people have good intentions with awareness, but sometimes just don't do their homework or don't actually follow through? Cybersecurity culture change is a change management project. And I don't think there's any Mm -hmm. organization out there that hasn't seen change management projects really crash and burn. I think everyone's history is is littered with the failures of those things. And and the problem is that you really require two things. Number one, you require um, the leadership team to be 100% behind it and give it the resources that it needs. And the second thing is that the organization is braced for the long term because change takes time. And in my opinion, to move the needle mm. uh, substantively for cybersecurity takes at least 18 months, possibly two years, because you have some real hardened attitudes to change. And the minute that people see a wavering of the uh, you know commitment from senior management, the whole thing falls apart like a game of cards. I love that you say both those things. I love that you say that it takes 18 months because that's kind of my experience too. And I find a lot of companies kind of say, oh, you can do this overnight. It's not an overnight job trying to change a culture within an organization. And two, you're absolutely right. If you don't have absolute buy-in from the senior management team, and if they are kind of cutting corners, um, it's it's that's not a good thing, right? It's not a good thing. And I also think that, unfortunately, so up until now, cybersecurity doesn't get doesn't make you profit. It doesn't get you revenues, and therefore it was seen as an IT thing. Now, interestingly, that's changing massively, and, and I've seen it change uh, really from the introdu- introduction of GDPR, where within the supplier contracts that every company uh, uses as as um, an engagement mechanism. You now have a couple of things that have come to the fore. Number one, you have cybersecurity insurance. Ten years ago, that that was unheard of. But now, um, what is the the level of liability that is covered by your cybersecurity insurance? The second thing is, where does the liability sit for uh, GDPR? Who who is responsible for uh, a data protection failure, uh, and who takes the liability? And the third thing then is, you get a risk assessment from your potential customer, and you have to fill in that risk assessment. Now, before GDPR, that was a largely a box ticking exercise. But now the risk assessment will be called upon to defend the decision to go with that vendor, that vendor selection, um, as part of an overall privacy lifecycle. And so, and also the lawyers are heavily focused on it. So Mm -hmm. really having a high levels of cyber hygiene, high levels of, of of being able to demonstrate your 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 cyber credentials now becomes a competitive advantage. Having ISO 27001 now becomes a competitive advantage. And I think going forward, that is going to become more and more a feature of how people look at uh, cybersecurity, uh, the people that they deal with. But more importantly, I think we'll justify the spend that's needed in these these type of projects. I think that's one of the big problems is resources, especially now with, you know, the COVID-19 happening. Lots of IT teams have been culled um, or have had had to deal with uh, resource issues on that front. Plus, they're having to manage a whole new workforce working from home and they want to keep it safe. So, um, you know, obviously you wrote this before all this happened, but did you uh, touch upon remote working and do you have any views on that? In, in the industry, we have seen the incidence of phishing and cyber activity just go through the roof. And the reason for that is that um, people involved in uh, cyber criminal activity love change. They love different things happening to us as, as 
human beings so that they can exploit the, the the moves between you know working in an office, working from home, people not being within their social circle, and and things like that. The issue is vigilance. The issue is then having messaging or having um, a a subject on a monthly basis that you. Um, address to your your audience. So, for example, a lot of our uh, clients who take this really seriously immediately slip switch to um, secure remote working. Um, immediately began sending out training based on you know the dangers of working from home, um, the increased levels right. of people trying to cajole you to do things that you wouldn't normally do in the office, and and they increased their vigilance. Those companies also continued with um, their simulated phishing attacks. And then some people just killed them off altogether saying, oh, you know, um, our staff uh, um, are, are, you know, dealing with working from home. Um, they're, they're, they're having a bad time and they stopped their, some people stopped simulated phishing. And my view there was, well, in actual fact, that's what the hacking uh, community is is betting on you doing, uh, betting on your change, and and the fact that everybody is is disarranged, and so I think w- the people that did continue with the phishing attacks actually increased the vigilance in this new environment, which is likely to continue in some form or fashion well beyond COVID. Mm. Say, I want to try and put a scenario to you just to drive the point home to everyone how important this is, right? So let's say I'm an IT guy. And uh, I really want to get through to my CEO, right? They're just not taking this seriously. They've cut my budget, they've cut my resources, and I really need them to see the importance of cybersecurity. Do you think a better approach is to go in with a bunch of stats to explain how dangerous it is out there? Or do I want to talk more about how the company can be, can grow and, you know, make more money and be safer, more secure, lower risk? I mean, I really feel for people in that um, situation. Me too. Yeah. There has to be some good come out of this pandemic. And I think there is for cybersecurity because our concept as a society of what's possible has expanded now. Um, If someone had have told me before Christmas that, my entire organization would be working from home. Um, all these controls would have been put into place. I, I wouldn't have believed them. But now I'm prepared to believe much more in mm. terms of change and, and the world that we lived in. So getting someone to believe that we could have a cyber event that could cripple the organization, I think is easier to believe. So that I think that envelope expanding will help us. Totally. And you know what else, actually, this may be an excellent opportunity for IT people to actually approach their uh, CEOs about investment in this area. Because of the change in environment, there is inherently a little bit more risk there until they can lock down both security and cyber awareness for home workers. So this might be the time to kind of say, look, the environment's changed, we need to be on top of it to make sure we're safe. I don't know. What do you think about that? Look, people have gone home um, and we implemented one of the biggest changes in, in organizational working in, in centuries. <laughs> and we did it in, in weeks where normally that, that would take, you know, months or maybe years for organization to put it into place and you would train everybody and, and so on and so forth. But we flicked the switch and we got it done. The other thing is the digital assets that the organization rely upon now exist within those homes. Yep. Now exist within those firewalls, within those homes. And rely on people within, and indeed rely on their families, not just the people that work for you, to be, you know, aware of the dangers and aware that certain things could happen. And the only way to do that is to engage with your staff population and give them the information and give them the resources to actually um, make the change. Because thinking it'll happen by osmosis is naive. It just won't. And what has happened whilst, you know, there are many benefits from home working from a security perspective, our perimeter has just morphed into something that is unrecognizable now. 
You know, I'm more I'm thinking about this. I think a lot of different people need to read this book. Um, at first, I was thinking this is really, really good for IT staff to kind of understand what they're facing and how they can kind of get their hands around all the different components. But maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I was blindsided. Maybe C-levels need to read this too, just to understand all the different components and the complexities that need to be understood so that they can be more sensitive when they're budgeting and uh, and dealing with IT. Carl, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. What I mean, when I was writing this book, I, I sort of had a, an image in my mind of, you know, a CISO at a board meeting, you know, with a number of these books and basically handing them, physically handing them. So you now have the power of a gift. Here's a gift. And and it's a it's a it's a wily book that we've all seen, the dummies guide. And even if someone dips in and out of it, you've all met you've already made an impact. Because I think if you can get the C-level, the executive team on your side, you can change so much. Because the problem I find with cybersecurity is that it, it isn't user-friendly. It, it, it involves implementing controls and people hate controls and they hate policies and they hate e-learning. So it's not a popular job, but once you get the C-level involved, you get a tone from the top. And that, mm. people never focus on that. Well, what does our organization stand for? Do we have zero tolerance on these things or do, are we laissez-faire? Where, where do we fit? And once the uh, people in charge say, this is, how, this is where we stand, then your initiatives are not diluted by um, middle management. You know, someone who goes, look, don't, don't bother with that e-learning. Uh, keep doing your jobs. Uh, get around to it whenever you... And suddenly your awareness campaign has just died because you have a, a manager somewhere who, who is just not supportive. But if the CEO is is supporting the actual um, initiative, you typically get people um, to buy into it. Well... With this book, you have given a lot of IT people and indeed companies a helping hand. Robbie O'Brien from MetaCompliance, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Carl. There we go. What do you think? I thought it went very well. Listeners, you can get your free copy of MetaCompliance's Cyber Awareness for Dummies book by going to smashingsecurity.com slash cyber aware. That's smashingsecurity.com forward slash cyber aware. See you next week.